This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 99, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, July 24th. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode number 99. This is the Comic Reviews episode for the books that came out on Wednesday, July 24th. I am your host, Adam Chapman. Welcome to the show. Um, this is actually the last episode for a little while. It's going to be a brief hiatus. Uh, basically, I wanted to have a really good episode 100 coming up, but uh, I just moved, as I mentioned before on the show, and uh, it just hasn't been possible. Also, my usual co-host in the past, Nathan Strzok, has also moved. He's actually moved out of the city that I'm currently based in, so it's not as easy to get him into the studio to actually take part in the episodes. Um, so I think when episode 100 does finally come around, uh, it probably will only either be me and Nathan Struck or me and Paul Scorez. Um, not really sure what we're going to talk about yet. Um, we keep kind of working on scheduling as opposed to content. Once we've been able to narrow down a schedule, then we'll have some sort of content and then we'll have an episode. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, and hopefully someone out there is looking forward to it as well. Um, so this will be the last reviews episode I do for a while, only because it'd be kind of dumb to continue with like episode 101, episode 103, episode 105, and not have episode 101. Um, or, in, if anything, just to continue with 101, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, and not have 100. But, you know what, I'll leave that up to the listeners. If you would like to see me continue, and just to eventually come back to episode 100, and continue with 101, 102, etc., let me know. Um, you know, uh, post in the HC Realms threads where we put these episodes. Uh, I, I'm always interested in what my listeners want, and if people would rather me continue the episodes on a weekly basis just to do the reviews, and then just wait on having the 100th episode and then other non-reviews episodes, then I'm perfectly happy to do that. I, Whatever my listeners would like me to do, I'm happy to do it, because to be honest, it seems kind of weird to think that next week I won't be struggling to read all the books necessary for reviews, <laughs> uh, mainly just because of time constraints. Uh, as I've said, I recently moved. I haven't really had the opportunity to re- read a lot of books. I sat down today because my wife was home sick, and I was like, okay, she's sick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plow through a lot of these books and get a podcast out by the end of the day. So it is Tuesday, July 30th, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So there was a lot of books that came out. I'm going to be relatively brief because there is a lot of them. Uh, first book that I'm going to be mentioning is Aquaman number 22. Uh, this continues the current uh, storyline that Jeff Johns is writing. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's actually pretty good. I'm enjoying the storyline. I'm not quite sold on the artwork anymore, and I don't know what has shifted. I don't know. I, I feel like I got spoiled in the first year and a half of the book, or what, two and a half years? Maybe, sorry, the first year or so, um, we had Ivan Reyes, and I'm still liking Pelletier's artwork. It's just, at times, isn't quite as sharp as I would have expected from him. That being said, the uh, script by Jeff Johns is extremely strong, as in this issue, you have multiple story threads going on. You have Mira dealing with her own people and also her relationship with Arthur. You have Arthur uh, dealing with uh, this dead king. Uh, this first king, so, so to speak, and then you also have people attacking Atlantis, so there's a lot of plot threads going on. I almost felt like the end of the issue didn't quite have that, that hook moment that you would want to be leading up to the next issue. Uh, it felt like they were almost there, or we had stuff that felt like it could have been, but it didn't quite reach that level. I'm not really sure what it, why it failed to kind of push it that, that little extra bit. 
Um, that being said, it was a really strong issue. Uh, it continues to be an enjoyable book. I'm enjoying more of the mythology of Atlantis. I think if you're going to make a character like Aquaman really work and you're going to have him in the water all the time, uh, you need to really flesh out his people and who they are, what they are, and make me care. Make me care about Atlantis because how many, like, uh, this is actually something that is happening in, uh, the, this week in New Avengers. How many times has Atlantis been destroyed when it comes to Namor? Um, is it like it just feels like with Namor, it's so nebulous. His people and and every few years they change it, and then he'll be mainly. Like, I don't even know what that guy does most of the time because they don't do a consistent job of showing what it's like for him to actually be amongst his people. Whereas usually with Aquaman, they do a little bit more work on that. Obviously, since the New Fifty Two, they've had more time of him not being you know the king and more about being on earth on on land. But now they're putting him back in the water. So uh, I'm happy that they're they're trying to explore and develop this side of Aquaman, which is hard to do, but Jeff Johns is doing a fairly good job of it. I would give it an 8 out of 10 for the book. Uh, Next up is Batman Superman. Uh, This is brutal. Um, I was originally going to give it a 5. I'm going to bring that down to about a 3. I hated this. Um, It wasn't very good. I'm giving it some merit for on a technical level, but really I just thought that it was kind of garbage. I, I, first of all, the artwork is the most miscast artwork I've ever seen in any comic book ever. I think if I was to illustrate this, you would, you, it wouldn't be as miscast. It would be horrible, to be fair. But I don't think it would be as horribly out of, out of character for the, like, to have a Superman character and then you have him often in shadow and just like, it just doesn't fit. Jay Lee is a great artist. Like, he is phenomenal on the right book, and that's, really could be said of any artist they're right for the right book but here it's just it's atrocious i don't like even the, the technology that's being used by batman doesn't work and ugh, this was just awful um it was not a good read it was, was not fun greg pock is a great writer um you know jay lee is a great artist uh this is just terrible and even the superman costume doesn't really look like the earth 2 superman costume it looks more like the regular one like you should have Nicholas Scott do it, or anyone better than this. Anyone who doesn't make everything look super creepy and gothic when it doesn't fit. This should be a book celebrating, you know, these two, these icons, first meeting, which I already have problems with, but whatever, let's go with it. And not only are they first really meeting each other, they're meeting these other versions of themselves from another universe where they're friends and where they have uh, established relationships in case, this case, marriages with uh, their longstanding, uh, you know, uh, Females leads um, it could be quite interesting it should deserves to have this this larger than life artwork or if at least at least something it just doesn't deserve this this is not the right look at all this is like Jay Lee never learned how to illustrate anything after he left Dark Tower because especially that last page when he had Wonder Woman uh, that's not even a very good Wonder Woman like it's creepy and it's messed up but it's again fits something that from the Dark Tower as opposed to and you know an, an Earth Two adventure, uh, which should be bright. I don't know. It should be anything but this. This is this. He's the wrong artist, and Greg Pak is not doing a very good job of writing it. That being said, a lot of my take on the on the writing is because of the horrible artwork. Maybe if the artwork wasn't so miscast, I wouldn't feel that way. But who knows? Um, so that was Jay Lee and Greg Pak on Batman Superman. Next up is Batman Dark Knight number twenty two. Um, not a huge fan of this either. Not a surprise. I've enjoyed uh, Dark Knight generally, um, especially over the last little while. It hasn't always been the greatest. I always get confused as to which which book is which because uh, there was this and Detective Comics, and obviously I sometimes forget in my head which one's which. Uh, Hurwitz, 
is writing this, but you got Alex Maleev in artwork, and I am a huge fan of Alex Maleev, but this just, this book just didn't quite fit for me. And part of it is that we just had a Clayface story, we didn't need another one, and it's not really, it's kind of being the same trick. Like, you have, uh, you know, Jim Gordon doing some stuff that's really, uh, you know, out of character. Oh, wait, it's Clayface. Didn't we just see this as Bruce Wayne? Like, over in Batman, like, doing the, ex- the exact same thing. We thought it was Bruce Wayne, but it was really Clayface. It just felt like they were going to the same well so quickly, and it felt very, I don't know, lazy. And the art by um, Alex Maleev was not the best art I've ever seen him do. Uh, it, it was pretty good. I mean, I think the problem is that he is a really good artist, but I have been so spoiled on this Daredevil, which was less and less a superhero book and more and more just a noir th- crime thriller. And so when he does the character pieces, it's really good. But when he does the act more action-oriented, it doesn't quite fit as well. Um, it's not a limitation. It's just he has certain strengths as an artist and some things he doesn't do as well. Um, so I would give this issue maybe a five. I just found it kind of boring and derivative. Uh, the artwork didn't was not as strong as it could have been, although it was still pretty good. It's just I found Greg Herwitz did not do a great job in writing it. And... Uh, I, he was going for something here with Batman feeling the loss of Natalia, but even that didn't quite feel genuine. I don't know. Like, it was so good when it happened. It was such a shocking moment. And yet here, it just feels very... Like, shouldn't he also be worried about Damien's death? And, like, shouldn't he be dealing with all these things? Like, if you give him too much crises or things to kind of break him down all at once, um, they're, you know, it starts to feel like, first of all, like they're not addressing all of it. And second of all, like, you know, just light up just a little bit. <laughs> He doesn't. He's not Daredevil. He's Batman. Like he's he's already haunted by enough trauma. You don't need to be giving him additional heap loads of trauma. Uh, so I give that a five out of ten. Next up is Captain America number nine. I was originally going to give this a six. I'm going to downgrade that to a five. Um, it wasn't like the worst book I've ever read. It's by Rick Remender and uh, John Reader Jr. Um, I just felt like, first of all, it's such a pain in the ass that you know he was gone so long, but really he wasn't. And yes, we all kind of assume that's the way it was going to go, but it just feels very cheap with the audience that, you know, you're, we're trying to make you care that this character, and I guess the idea is that even though it, it didn't take place over that much of a period of time, Captain America still feels like it did. So Captain America still feels like he raised a son, basically, and he failed him, and now he's dead, and all these things he promised, and he can't make good on that. I mean, that's still real to him. Um, it just... I don't know, I, I just felt like we all kind of knew it was probably going to go there, and it went there, and then no, none of us were surprised about it. I guess that's part of my problem with it, is just that, you know, there's no surprise for the reader. We assumed that he wasn't actually gone that many years, because something would have had to happen, and we all knew that when he got back, it would be as if five minutes had passed, and ultimately, as he might have aged in this timeline, but we knew that the minute he got back, he has to be leaving the Avengers, and everything has to be normal, so I'm, I guess in this book, we'll have him bearing that burden, uh, I just feel like it's not going to be really expressed anywhere else. Maybe in Uncanny Avengers eventually. But I just feel like to have such a big thing happen and have it not mean anything in any other books and not be reflected, it does kind of take away the impact of that event. Um, the artwork with John Romita Jr. not quite working for me. Uh, the Arnim is that the whole fight is just kind of a mess after a while because I can't quite tell what's going on because it's just a mush. Uh, and I hate, I hate, hate the design of uh, Arnim Zola's daughter, who basically looks like a reject from anything with Jack Kirby in the fourth world. Uh, and not necessarily in a good way. It just looks very typical of both the Jack Kirby kind of costume design with John Romita's bulky female characters. Now, granted, that's 
entirely what they were probably going for because they were going for more of a Jack Kirby-ish adventure look to this book as opposed to the um, the Ed Brubaker more in, you know espionage book. And I, I get that, but you know, it just doesn't mean I have to like it as much ultimately. Um, so moving on. We have Constantine, number five. Uh, I've been in and out of this book. Uh, it was all right. I give it a seven and a half. It probably deserves a little bit less, but I did enjoy the artwork by Renato Guedes. Um, let's see. It's written by... Let's see. I can't even see who it's written by. It'd be nice if I knew who wrote this book. Uh, Ray Fox. Um, basically, it takes place after Justice League Dark, number 22, and you have John Constantine dealing with uh, Shazam, uh, as well as this magic, and he briefly takes on the magic of Shazam. It's kind of an interesting little book. Um, yeah, I actually quite enjoyed it, and, but although I'm not really sure where the ending of the book leaves it, especially because the character kind of has to be available for the rest of Justice League Dark, I would think, and available for the rest of the Trinity War, and this kind of takes him off the board for that, which made me skeptical, but for the most part, I enjoyed the issue um, more than I ever expected to, so I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, you know what? I'm going to downgrade that to a 7. I'm all about downgrading today. Uh, next up is Flash 22. Um, it's, um, I don't know what they're doing here. I, I, I like the book sometimes, and sometimes I really don't. Um, it's written by Francis Manipal, and he also supplies the artwork, and it's also co-written by Brian Bucciolato, who's also the colorist. It's still a gorgeous book. Um, it's just, it's not always the best in terms of storytelling, sorry, story, and kind of where they're going with things. Um, you know what? Maybe I was too harsh on this. I think I was going to give it a 7 out of 10. And I'll give it a 7.5. It's worth more than that, just based on the artwork alone. Um, I'm not really sure how I feel about the reverse flash yet. Um, obviously, it's not Dr. Elias, as we learned here, in a big way. Uh, interested to see kind of who it is. I hope they don't kind of keep that running too long, because a villain has to be interesting, not based on who they are and the mystery of who they are, that being said, there have been some great mysteries over the years uh, with, that have been predicated mainly on who is this villain, but also has to be cool in the villain's own merits. And so far, we, you know, we're seeing that this is a scary character and he's doing some messed up things, but at the same time, you're working against history because fans know the other Reverse Flashes. I mean, there was the classic, uh, you know, uh, Thawne version, and then there was the extremely popular Hunter Zolomon version, who was then pretty much wiped out by Jeff Johns himself uh, during Final Crisis, uh, what was it, Rogue's Revenge. Uh, so he's pretty much taken off the board, and in the New 52, well, most of the Flash stuff doesn't exist, so that all those characters are gone. Um, so when you have, you know, uh, a legendary character like, you know, and, sorry, classic character, like the original Professor Zoom, and then you also have Zoom, the Hunter's Zolomon version, who was a modern-day classic, Introducing a new reverse flash with a costume that's not as interesting visually. I just I don't like the look of it as much. And then we don't, don't know really what he's doing or how. I don't know. It kind of... I find myself a little bit bored by the character. Only because it doesn't feel like it's anywhere near as interesting as the two reverse flashes we already had. Or even Kidzoom. Um, not that I like the character all that much. So with these three really great, you know, villainous speedsters. Not to mention all the other ones that have existed throughout the years. Like Cobalt Blue, etc. And yet... We're getting this new reverse flash, and it hasn't sold. They haven't sold me on them at all. So I'm trying to enjoy the issues, and the artwork great, but I'm just not really digging the storyline that they're giving me. At least not yet. I'm I'm hopeful that they'll turn it around, and I'm sure they will. I mean, uh, well, who knows? I mean, they're they're good writers, but not great writers at least so far. So hopefully they'll they'll come up with something good. Uh, so I'm going to give that a seven and a half. Uh, next up is Gambit number fifteen. 
this is an, a lot of books this week were anywhere from between five to seven. Um, this one in particular, I was going to give it a seven, three for story, four for artwork. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Asmus on the book, but he, he does a, a fairly suitable job for the most part. Um, but Clayman is really where it's at in this issue. Um, I mean, it's he really nails the artwork and tells a, a great visual story um, about, you know, basically. And actually, the story is maybe a little bit better than I give it credit for. But part of it just felt a little, I don't know, a little bit plain. Uh, basically, you have Gambit, um, you know, his, his, his white whale, his, you know, his big score that he could never do or would love to do someday is basically carried out. So he pretends to be Hawkeye and he breaks in to the crime scene to uh, investigate and he meets up with Fence who has all sorts of cool upgrades now and he wants to find out more about what happened and um, he ends up kind of falling into a trap and uh, ends up face to face with his father who I don't even remember if we've ever really seen his father before I'm a little bit ignorant on every facet of Gambit's history so uh, it, was, it was serviceable it wasn't the greatest issue the artwork was quite good um, but the storyline itself could have been better um but I did like the idea of, you know, this one score that he'd love to pull off someday and then someone's done it and it's kind of like taunting him. It's interesting, but you also have to remember that Gambit is like the thief in the Marvel Universe or at least usually has been shown to be as such. So the idea that there's someone kind of better uh, and then is kind of an interesting concept until it's his dad and then it's kind of like, well, okay, I'll, I'll see where they're going with this. Not Not really sold, but all right. Um, so I gave that a 7. Next up is Hawkeye Annual number 1. Uh, I thought I liked this a lot more, but I did not. I gave this a 6.5, and, and I almost think I gave it too high. I just found it really boring. Um, and I, I read a lot of advanced reviews, and they seemed to really enjoy it. Um, but I personally didn't really like it all that much at all. Uh, it's written by Fraction, artwork by Polito, who did some issues of the... I went in like issues three or four or something like that of the Hawkeye book. So it's not like it has an unknown artist either. I just found I was so bored with uh, the way the narration boxes were done with the weird little Kate uh, you know, icon. And I just found the artwork very almost juvenile looking. And the whole Madam uh, Mask thing I found really boring as well. Please excuse my cat. I uh, decided to meow in the background. Uh, different cat than normal. Um, the other cat uh, is the female cat named Gwen Stacy. Is usually the one who decides to be loud in the podcast, but this time it is Parker. Uh, obviously, I named my cats after Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker because I'm a giant loser. Uh, actually, my wife was like, "We should call them that." And I'm like, "I would love this. I'm in." And that's what happened. But no one believes that story, and that's probably why she did it because she knows that whenever anyone hears the names, they'll be like, "Oh, really, Adam?" And I'll be like, "No, no, no. It was totally my wife." And be like, "Yeah, I'm sure." Uh, anyways, back to the issue, which I found boring. Um, yeah, it was just a long Madame, Madame Mask, Whitney Frost issue, and I just found it really dull and, uh, and really unfortunate because I really enjoy Kate Bishop as a character. I really enjoy Hawkeye as, as a book. Um, I enjoy Polito's artwork, I usually at least, and I usually enjoy Matt Fraction's ta- take on Kate Bishop, which is obviously very different from what she used to be in Young Avengers, but it's kind of a nice little... It, it still it ports her sass over, um, and that's usually what we get in this book. And here I just found I was really bored by the issue, and it was very, I don't know, just lackluster. Um, and, you know, I'm actually going to downgrade it from a 6.5 to a 6. I don't think it quite deserves that extra half. And plus, that's the name of the game today, downgrading review ratings. 
Uh, next up is Hawka, sorry, Hunger number one. Uh, I gave this a six and a half, a three for story and three and a half for art. Um, I haven't followed much of the Ultimate Universe outside of Ultimate Comic Spider-Man since Ultimatum, so I don't really know what's happened with uh, Rick Jones. I found I didn't really care all that much. Um, I don't know, I just felt like the issue was really kind of long. Considered it's a four-issue series, and a lot of it's just Rick Jones being annoying. It kind of reminded me of uh, Richard Rider and having the world mind. And instead here you have the watcher talking to Rick Jones but it was nowhere near as interesting and obviously it's supposed to kind of evoke the, the sense of you know Rick Jones and Captain Marvel I, at least that's what I'm guessing that because they used to kind of have that you know that bond uh, both Captain Marvels actually but uh, I don't know I just found this was really kind of uh, not all that interesting also you have basically the Kree Skull War but now it's the Kree Chitauri War which doesn't make a lot of sense because I thought there was a storyline that it established that the Chitauri were only a certain subsection of the Skrulls that were more criminals but whatever uh, you have the Galactus Swarm which I don't even remember what happened to them at the end of that series because it wasn't all that interesting when it ended and then you have Galactus uh, emerging into the Ultimate Universe and basically merging with the Galactus Swarm and then using them as his heralds, which that part's kind of cool, but I just found I was a little bit bored. Um, There's some interesting ideas in here, but I felt like it could have been condensed a lot more. We got a lot of exposition, and I don't think it was all necessary. A lot of it didn't actually add much to the story, and instead we got one issue down, so that's 25% of the story, and 25% of the story was just getting Galactus into the Ultimate Universe. Um, which I think should have happened in the first couple pages. Plus, he's not even anywhere near Earth, whereas... When Miles Morales was swinging along, he was just suddenly on Earth. Uh, so maybe, technically speaking, there was a, a gap between what actually happened at the end of the Age of Ultron, number 10, and then there was a certain amount of time before we actually see Miles Morales swinging around and see Galactus, but as it is, it just annoyed me. And that's just a, something that editing could have taken care of, but obviously they wanted to have Ultimate Spider-Man be swinging by and see Galactus, because that was their gut punch. That was their, look at this. Um, but instead... Uh, we just got you know that moment and then something that doesn't make any sense with that and that Galactus suddenly arrives in a very different fashion. Um, I don't know. It just I just found it mildly irritating. Uh, the issue wasn't bad. It was just a little bit, as I said, a little bit boring, a little bit dry, a little bit exposition heavy. Um, and I don't care about Rick Jones that much and I haven't really been given a reason to. I do like Joshua Falkov, and he's done a good job. Leonard Kirk is an interesting choice for artwork. Um, he's not usually considered to be like kind of a bigger name, and this is a really big, should be an important miniseries for the Ultimate Universe, but I'm digging it so far. That's why I actually uh, would have given him three and a half for art as opposed to three for the story here. Uh, moving on, we have Justice League Dark number 22. Uh, this is yet another 6 out of 10 book. Yay, that's my favorite number this week. Um, this did feel like, well, first of all, do they actually call themselves Justice League Dark? Because that is the stupidest name ever. Like, Justice League of America is one thing. Justice League, obviously, is its own. Justice League Dark just sounds stupid and really dumb. And something that you would only call something on a title of a comic book and not actually refer to yourself as. It's kind of like calling yourself a member of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Why are you evil? Why are you saying that you're evil? Um... But that's one thing. But then actually having the name of the book that and having them in the book actually refer to themselves as Justice League Dark just seems stupid. Um, there's so many people in this book that no one really gets a chance to shine. Uh, I would say that Justice League felt like a book where, uh, sorry, chapter one that was in Justice League, you got to feel who all these characters kind of were. 
same thing with Justice League of America for the most part. You still got a little bit of the more focus on that book's primary stars, whereas this issue did not feel like that at all. Instead, we didn't get a lot of focus on Justice League Dark. We got a little bit, but they weren't the primary focus by any means. Um, it just feels weird to kind of throw them into this, and there's just so much that they're trying to get done here, and I almost felt like um, they could have just made it a little bit simpler. You have Superman going crazy. You have the idea that it was magic, that they have to find Pandora, Pandora's box, or not, as the case might be. Uh, they're also dealing with this society. All of this stuff at once feels a little convoluted, and like they wanted so much to be on the table that a reason for these three teams to come together... But as it is, I just don't know if they quite managed to do that. Um, artwork's by Mike Jan- Janin, or sorry, Mikel Janin. Uh, it's written by Jeff Lemire. I haven't really read any issues of Justice League Dark. This was my first major kind of foray into the book, and obviously they did have a little bit more magic going on here. Um, I don't know. I just... It felt less interesting than the first two parts. It did feel very muddled. Um, it didn't feel... Like, it really came as uh, promised. I mean, we were promised more of it being a Trinity War. I guess the three leagues fighting each other, but we're not really seeing that. We're just seeing fractions within leagues, and I don't know. I, I just feel like the, the storyline doesn't feel like it's very... Uh, not that it's not cohesive. It's not very... Um, not, I guess, straightforward in some ways. Not that I need everything to be very, like, this is A to B to C. It just feels like I need some sort of benchmark as to what the hell is going on and why, and why I have to care about it happening. And I don't think that they're doing a great job of explaining that, or at least showing it to the reader. So I gave it a 6 out of 10. Uh, next up is New Avengers number 8. Uh, quite like this, although it was a little bit of a slowdown. Sorry, actually, I was skipping to a different issue. New Avengers number 8, I gave it a 7 out of 10. 3 for story, 4 for art. I thought the artwork by Mike Diodato was fantastic. The story had a, um, could, left a lot to be desired, mainly because it felt very disparate. That There was a lot of things going on. There was a lot of scenes that we saw, but there wasn't a lot of cohesiveness that kind of brought it all together and made it make sense. Uh, you have Tony's back from space. You have uh, Reed beaming back in from his trip with his family. Uh, you have a weird moment where you have... Um, and if you don't know who these characters are, you're fucked. But uh, Iron Man and Uatu uh, looking at the Living Tribunal basically screaming in pain it looks like or having screamed in pain and having a weird burst in his chest which doesn't really make a lot of sense and then Tony's like I'll tell you about it later great thanks for showing us that making me wonder what the hell is going on and then not even mentioning it I just found it that part irritating um you have Adelan and it was kind of an interesting idea that you have a place where Black Bull can speak and then you have him and his wife you know having a conversation but you don't really see what's going on there and then you have Namor and Black Panther uh, meeting and Black Panther basically telling Namor what the hell's going on uh, because Wakanda is now attacking Namor's um, you know, base of operations in Atlantis and then you have uh, this invasion start to happen uh, which again with these weird emissaries approaching each member of the uh, Illuminati um, I don't really know what's going on with Infinity I don't really understand the build up to it just because I don't think I read the Infinity Comic Book Day because I didn't get a chance to go to Free Comic Book Day this year, so I do feel like I'm a little bit out of it, and that's okay. It just feels like I shouldn't have to have read one free issue to really get more of an idea what's going on. And maybe this is totally independent of that, but I just felt I was very confused as to that ending, and again, the issue itself of very you had elements that were all over the place and they had no relation to each other, and it didn't really pull itself together in an interesting or entertaining manner. Uh, so that's why I only ended up giving it a 7. Although it had great art. 
next up, I'm going to speed this up a little just because I am running out of time as we speak and I have a lot of books to talk about. Um, so I got Scarlet Spider number 19, gave it a 7 out of 10. It was a good book. Um, I'm enjoying where they're going with these characters. I like seeing uh, Wolverine and uh, Scarlet Spider team up. It's kind of an interesting uh, take. Um, Chris Yost wrote it with artwork by, I believe, let me just check out who did the artwork here. Carlo Barberi. Uh, sorry, and Chris Yost and Eric Burnham actually co-wrote the issue. Um, I really like the artwork here. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a little exaggerated. It wasn't maybe making Kane look as as uh, agile as usual, but it definitely made him look bulkier and stronger and, and more fierce than, um, than Spider-Man. This story left a little bit to be desired with Kendra, etc., but uh, it still had a, a good grounding force in Scarlet Spider himself, so I gave it a 7 out of 10. I still enjoyed it. Um, next up is Superior Spider-Man number 14. Really enjoyed this. One of the better books I read last week. Uh, I gave this an 8.5 out, eight out of 10. Uh, it does make me wonder how much longer they can really move, go on with this kind of stuff because you have Spider-Man basically having his own thugs now uh, or his own like militia basically as he decides I'm going to take down um, you know Shadowland why am I leaving it there uh, so he takes it down and he's also kind of blackmailing uh, J. John Jameson um, and like the idea that Kingpin's actually terrified of what's going on you also have Kingpin basically having like a fat replace uh stand in that he can then kill and leave uh because the guy has been modified to uh have the same dna as wilson fisk which is a very comic book way of having wilson fisk have a, a way to get kind of get out of dodge um i yeah I, I really dug this it was quite interesting and you also have the idea that there's something wrong with some of um some of spider-man's tech and that's kind of interesting as well and you have the Green Goblin taking over and becoming the uh, you know the Goblin King, and he's saying that New York is already his. Um, inter- interesting. I enjoyed it. Uh, the artwork's great. I um, can't wait to see what happens next in the next issue. I want to see this uh, showdown between Spider-Man and the Hobgoblin. Uh, although I fear for Phil Urich. Uh The artwork by Ramos is actually quite good. I like the redesign in Spider-Man's costume. As Ramos has said, it's less trying to be Ben Riley and more about being the kind of Alex Ross version of the movie costume that he had originally designed and when you think about it that's exactly what it is um I like it it's actually kind of a cool look uh I like that they're further developing uh the superior Spider-Man they're not it feels like every issue is you know the issue you don't want to miss every issue a big development is happening uh either it's relatively small or much larger and the idea of him actually having his own kind of spider police force is actually a cool one and uh, it's amazing to see how effective Spider-Man can be if he needs to be. I'm interested to see where they're going to go later on, um, because obviously not everyone's going to be okay with this, and that brings us up to our next book. Anyways, I give this an 8.5 out of 10. Next up is Superior Spider-Man Team-Up number 1. I give it a 7.5. I give it a 4 for story, 3.5 for art, so that's why it's a 7.5. So you have... Let's see, this is written by Chris Yost, who already wrote Avenging Spider-Man, which is basically what this is. Um, and the artwork by David Lopez, who I like. Um, so, although I had to admit, I had to, the minute I opened this issue, I had to basically go to Wikipedia, because I had no freaking clue what happened to Cloak and Dagger. I didn't realize that in the Spider Island uh, tie-in, their powers are essentially swapped, which is kind of dumb and stupid, and I hate Mr. Negative, because they never explain how he can do the shit he does, but, uh, or at least I don't believe they have. Um, but the idea here is that Spider-Man's kind of on a rampage and he's taking out all these, uh, 
you know all these street level heroes and there's also a great kind of uh, recap of all the recent things he's done over in Superior Spider-Man uh, he takes down Gravity uh, although I hated because Gravity apparently like Gravity is a cool character yeah here he, he goes he actually says wow which I hated because that doesn't make any sense and I love that character don't humiliate him like that uh, you have him take down or at least fight Power Man and Iron Fist Sun Girl who I don't even know who that is and he's got like a Waldo backpack, um, or which is more or less like um, like spot the spider arms that he used to have on the Iron Spider costume. He's actually using those at that point. He takes on Moon Knight, who I don't know why Moon Knight is swinging around New York, but he is. He punches out Doctor Strange, apparently in a hospital, which is strange. And then he's in the Baxter Building and he fights the uh, the new Fantastic Four and uh, basically the Avengers kind of go to stop him and be like, you know, what the hell are you doing? And it's the idea that he's trying to stop the carrion virus, which is kind of cool that he's trying to stop the carrion virus is kind of going around and he's trying to stop whoever it's uh, been able to infect and it infects uh, Hyperion and then he's able to uh, take him out. And so I like the idea that he fights the Avengers and then is able to explain to them why, why he's doing what he's doing. It's a matter of time. He has to stop the carrion virus and that they kind of each time they kind of want to come down on him he proves that he's right and then they have to kind of back off which is an interesting uh, recurring theme for the superior spider-man um also i like at the end of this issue uh, the idea that he needs his own team uh quote-unquote superior team because he's excuse me <coughs> i could edit that out but i won't um mainly because i just don't have time <laughs> that's how you'd like to appreciate my sneezing uh, you have him putting together this superior team, and it looks like the Sinister Six, he's captured all of them, and so maybe we'll get, the, or more than that. No, I think just the six, so it'd be interesting to see him bring them all together. And also, we once again have the idea that uh, the Jackal is doing something behind the scenes, and now he's going to want to go kill Spider-Man. So I like that, um, really, this Avenging Spider-Man really has morphed into this book. Um, this isn't a new concept. This is basically exactly what it was before, but we have a new number one, and it's more accurate to what it is. It shouldn't be called the Avengers Spider-Man anymore because it's not just about a Spider-Man and the Avengers anymore teaming up with other Avengers. It's about the superior Spider-Man teaming up with whoever he wants or taking on whatever other adventures Chris Yost wants to send him on. And it's usually quite engaging, so he can do whatever the hell he wants and I'll, t and I'll buy it. Uh, so I give that a 7.5 out of 10. we got Talon number 10. I'm really enjoying this. I like uh, you know Talon against Bane. I like all the uh, the intricacies of the organization because you have Talon trying to protect his own people but also now being forced to work for the Court of Owls again. I'm really digging it. Uh, artwork by Miguel Sepulveda. It's written by James Tinian IV. Um, the artwork is fantastic. Uh, really creepy, but it fits the book perfectly. Uh, this is just immensely entertaining. Um, I love the action. I like the intrigue. Uh, I like all the shit that's going down here and the idea that Bane's going to Gotham kind of rule it over and I like that part of the reason he's doing that is to take on the Court of Owls I like that um, you know there's a lot going on in this book and I can't wait to see what comes next uh, so I gave that um, I gave Talon a 7 a good 7 out of 10 it's not the strongest issue I'll go, you know I'll upgrade that one to a 7.5 I really did enjoy it the more I flip through it the more I realize I enjoy it not quite an 8 but it's getting there uh, next up is uh, wow I missed an issue. Uncanny Avengers number 10. Huh. You know, you're going to have to wait. And I'm going to actually pause this and be right back having read this issue. And I'm back. Okay, so just uh, read Uncanny Avengers number 10. Um, 
You know, it's okay. Um, I think I, I read some reviews of it being really, really good, and I just found it didn't quite hit all the marks for me. Um, part of it's that I don't like Daniel Acuna on art, and he does the artwork here, and I'm just not a fan. Uh, recommender, I have to... Actually, it's funny. I mentioned earlier that there's no mention anywhere else that uh, Captain America was off Earth. Uh, here, he actually does mention it to Wanda, so uh, I'm a dick. <laughs> I made a you know kind of an unfair generalization and uh, assumption, and it ended up being proven false. Um, so we actually do have uh, Captain America tell Wanda that he was stranded somewhere else. He doesn't explain all of it, but at least you get the idea that you know he's dealing with this this heavy burden that he hasn't told anyone about, and now he's finally willing to open up about it. Um, you have the new four horsemen. Or, or not even four horsemen, but basically four new death horsemen, I guess. Where you have Sentry, Banshee, Grim uh, Reaper, and Dokken have come back from the dead, and they're here to tangle with the Uncanny Avengers. It's kind of cool. Um, I don't know, it just didn't quite capture me the same way I expected. Most of that's the art, to be honest. I found it a little bit too static, and it should be a lot more fearsome, a lot more... Uh, it should be that there's more life in the panels. Uh, Akuna, I find, is a very... It's an artist that often there is no sense of movement or life. It's just very dead. Uh, this was more, no more true than when he illustrated The Flash, and that was the worst place possible to have an artist whose uh, artwork doesn't really come to life in the same way that others do. It doesn't have a, a lot of fluidity or of motion. Um, that's the, the one book you don't want that to have that happen on is Flash, because the character's entire power is speed. Um, here, it's okay, our work, it's not the best, and I just felt the action scenes were a little bit lackluster as a result of that. It could have been much better if the artist had been better. So I gave it a 7.5, and, um, and there's What If AVX number 3, I'm going to give that a 5. Um, again, I found I was kind of bored. Uh, what If Issues used to do a lot of things really quickly and in one issue, and instead we're getting a whole miniseries, and it's kind of dull. Uh, I... Actually, I realized I hadn't read issue two before I read this one, so I read issue three. I don't know why they put it all out in the same month. Um, I don't know, I just found it very boring. It's not, I don't know, in the artwork, it feels like it's very different every issue. Maybe I'd have to go back and actually see who did all the issues. Uh, artwork. It's possible it's switching. Uh, it's, this is issues written by Jimmy Palmiotti with pencils by Gerardo Sandoval and uh, inks by Gerardo Sandoval and Jordi Tarragona. Um, I don't know, I just found the whole... First of all, it's a little too soon to be doing an AVX what if, but if you're going to do a what if, make it a good what if that, and I said this before, takes what happened and change one key event and then show the impact of that instead of changing a bunch of things and changing things around to, like changing, like Magneto is like crazy here, like he's not, he wasn't like this, Magneto had basically changed his ways and was starting to follow you know, the direction of Scott Summers. He wouldn't have suddenly changed his mind and decided that he was going to destroy everything. Uh, I just found this very, not that well handled. I'm actually going to downgrade this. I was going to give it a five. I'm going to give it a three instead. Uh, I just found it very, eh, maybe a four. A four out of ten. Uh, I just found the artwork I didn't enjoy all that much. The story wasn't that good. No, it is a three. I'm very on the fence today, but uh, I just, ugh, it wasn't good. Uh, then we have Wolverine. Number seven, I gave this a six out of ten. Uh, I just found this a little bit boring. It's not necessarily going to be a bad idea that you're. It's, well, sorry, first of all, it feels like we recently did this with Deadpool. We had a Deadpool story where Deadpool could set, had no healing factor and he could die. It was comical, but the idea was that now he was killable. Well, now they're going to do Wolverine that way, so now Wolverine is killable. And they've said that this will be him in other books as well, but like, come on. 
uh, Wolverine and the X-Men had him being shot numerous times in the chest. So we know that's not true. Uh, it maybe is meant to be a little bit of a tie-in spiritually with the movie. Um, because, spoilers, for the Wolverine movie, he and you'll get this by the trailers anyway, he starts to lose his healing factor. Um, it's very different, probably. and Well, I know it's very different as to how it's done, but ba- the basic idea is the same, that you know, Wolverine is now more or less a little bit more mortal than before and now he's going to be killable and that's going to be the name of the arc um cornell wrote this with our work by peter for pierre federici um that's actually just the last name i wasn't a huge fan of the artwork uh the way he made wolverine look in particular i don't know it felt like he was trying to, to pull a hawkeye in terms of making him look a little bit more generic but i just found it the artwork lacked polish um I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't really enjoy it. And uh, yeah, I, the idea for the story isn't a bad one. And I'm glad that within like the first page or two, they mention uh, that Hank has found a way to counteract the adamantium poisoning. Because that's like my first thought, which is a stupid comic book thing to do. But been like, oh, he has no healing factor anymore, right? Eh? Shouldn't he be dead of the adamantium poisoning? They immediately mention that. So I gotta give them up for that. At least Cornell mentions that. I just found the the story was a lot more interesting than the art. The art was not that great. Uh, I did like the idea that Wolverine was kind of thinking that he could have a family. He could do other things because his life could be quite different now. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll see where the storyline goes. I don't know how interesting it's going to be, but we'll see. Um, I did, as I said, the storyline, the writing was better than the art. The artwork was not quite appropriate. I'm looking forward to Alan Davis coming back, which I never thought I'd say, but he's actually been pretty good on this book so far. So I give that a 6 out of 10. And then we have Wolverine and the X-Men 33. Um, I gave this a 7, I believe. Yeah, 7. Uh, I'm just not a huge fan of this book, and I want to be more than I am. But I just find that everything goes on too long. I'm not a huge fan of the art all the time. Um, I works with Bradshaw. It's written by Jason Aaron. You're having more of them fighting against the uh, the this Hellfire Academy. Uh, you have Edie kind of figuring finding out the justice or where she needs to meet out the justice that she wanted and we find out she's not as far gone as we thought we have kid omega uh in the you know trying to escape with toad i really like toad here i thought toad toad was actually more badass than he's ever been um i don't know i just felt and there was a lot of action which is good um it just for some reason it feels to really excite me it feels to really like when this book first started i was like this is quirky but weird and fun except for the hellfire academy or sorry, the Hellfire Club, because I didn't care much for them. And then having Edie be the Black Queen, I don't know, it just felt like very, I don't know, weird things happening and not a lot of reasons given for why they really would happen that way. And that's every book. So that's 7 out of 10. Uh, the books I didn't get a chance to read include the following. All-Star Western 22, Arrow number 9, Catwoman 22, Green Team, Teen Trillionaires number 3, Journey into Mystery 654, Larfilies number 2. I looked at the first three pages and said, there's no way in hell I'm going to read this. Uh, Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man number 16, Red Hood and the Outlaws 22. I read the first three or four pages. I found that the stuff with Jason Todd looked really interesting and everything else did not. Uh, so I ended up not reading it. Superman 22, Superman Unchained, Director's Cut number 1. Uh, I don't feel any need to read that again. Uh, Teen Titans 22. Again, I flipped through the first couple pages and said, no, F this. No thanks. Uh, Ultimate Comics X-Men 29, Unwritten number 51, and Young Avengers number 8. So that is the episode. This has been episode number 99 of Comic Shenanigans. I'm your host. 
Uh, obviously, we were looking at the comic reviews for the week of Ju July 24th releases. Uh, if you'd like me to continue doing reviews episodes, even though episode 100 isn't up, and just continue numbering at 101, 102, 103, 104, etc., please let me know, and I will do that. Um, I'm always in want to do what the fans like and uh if people are willing to listen and enjoy listening to my reviews episodes then i'm happy to do them because i do find them enjoyable uh so thank you for joining me and uh, if you want to post any uh, questions comments etc on the uh, comic reviews uh sorry on the thread at hg realms please do so uh we post in the ab club uh section uh please also we're looking for ratings for itunes because apparently People have done it before, but none of them are showing up. So, you know, please rate us on iTunes. That's great. It just helps the podcast. Uh, if you want to send me a personal email, you can do, or for the show, you can do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, uh, or you can like us on Facebook as well. So thanks again for joining us for the show, and uh, we'll see you next time, whether that be episode 101 or 100. Uh, hopefully it'll be sometime in the near future. This is Adam Chapman signing off. Bye-bye.